Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents Diego Rivera's America, the first major exhibition focused solely on the Mexican artist in over 20 years. It features his works, digital projections of his murals, and three major paintings by Frida Kahlo. On view now through July 31st. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. Later today, Emily Lawson, the founder and owner of Pink House Alchemy in Fayetteville, explains how working with another familiar Fayetteville business started her journey to establish hers. We'll share part of her conversation with Randy Wilbert, the host of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast on today's show. That's in our second half hour. First, Thousands of gallons of water are lost because of aging water infrastructure. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports cities with a growing population balance updating a current system and expanding needed services. All right. Any other public comments? At a Eureka Spring City Council meeting, officials are looking into raising water rates because of rising water costs and inflation. This led to a discussion about the city's unaccounted for water. The water is bought from Carol Boone Water District, pushed through pipes and flows out of residents' water faucets, but some of it is lost in the process. When Simon Wiley, Eureka Springs Public Works Director, started his job this past August, he began tracking the water purchased versus the water sold. He found the city has an estimated 55 average loss of treated water and says it has been an issue. So 2020 is actually the last year I went back, and we lost 113 million gallons, almost 114 million gallons during the uh, 2020 calendar year. Last year, we lost 135.6 million. No, that's 21. 22, we've lost 178.7 million gallons. And then this year so far, we have lost 76 million gallons. Water loss in a city can impact a water utility's budget because it has not collected revenue for the lost water. Wiley says in Eureka Springs, leaking aging pipes, inaccurate old water meters, and shifting karst topography can play a part in water loss. Recently, the city hired a third-party organization to find leaking pipes. Water and sewer are very expensive, and, you know, as are our streets and sidewalks, you know. And it's not getting any cheaper, and we have to find the means to generate that revenue to take care of what we have. And fortunately for us in the northwest Arkansas areas, our population is increasing, so we're becoming more densely populated. On average in the nation, 14% of water treated from systems is lost to leaks, according to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. And some systems, like Eureka Springs, report more of a deficit. Further southwest, Fort Smith does not face the water loss Eureka Springs experiences, but the city does have some old infrastructure, resulting in leaks. I would say every municipality in the United States is struggling with revitalizing their water or their sewer system in some form or other, uh, whether it be upgrading the pipes in the ground, putting in new pump or lift stations, or new plants. You know, pumps and plants and different things like that fail. It's a very common practice. It's just one that it's also very costly. That's Lance McAvoy, director of the utility department for the city of Fort Smith. He says the city is responsible for about 750 miles of water pipes and about 38,000 meters. He says balancing updating existing infrastructure and planning for development is a common practice in Fort Smith. There is a chicken and egg type situation where if you're looking at growth of an area, that really drives the need for increased water production and water conveyance. The aging infrastructure and the climate that can have an impact drives some of the replacement of asset costs. So new asset costs driven by economic growth, replacement due to age and some of the climate conditions that you may have. In the Arkansas Delta, Searcy's population is growing slowly. For about 30 years, Scott Boggs has been an employee of Searcy Water Utility and is now its assistant general manager. He also served on the Arkansas Department of Health's Drinking Water Advisory and Operator Licensing Committee. 
in reality, you have to uh, do kind of a shotgun approach. You have to triage the situation. It's whatever unique to your system. So it might be different for another utility for us. But for Cersei, we do have some expansion. Like right now, we have three apartment complexes that are going in right now. Each one is 250 units. So, uh, you know, that's that's pretty big expansion on new construction. But at the same time, we have to uh, look ahead and maintain that low percentage of, of water loss. Bogg says the city has a 20-year plan. Part of it looks at growth predictions, and the other section provides recommendations. If you want to think of a water system like the, the cardiovascular system of a person, that's a great analogy. Uh, they looked at our water system, and they found out that we have a few aneurysms, you might say, <laughs> or potential aneurysms, you know, due to pressure. So what they recommend is upsizing the sizes of some pipes or maybe uh, laying some new pipes, which would be correlate to like an arterial bypass, if you will, to lower the pressure. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One, I'm Anna Pope. Any story you hear on Ozarks at Large is shareable. Just go to ozarksatlarge.com. Find the story you want to share with a friend, click on that link, and then you can share that link through social media or email. And if you'd like to keep up with what's going on on Ozarks at Large and throughout your community, we do have a free daily email that lands in your email box every Monday through Friday morning. tells you what was on the previous day's Ozarks at Large and provides those links that allow you to directly listen to individual stories, interviews, and pieces, as well as share them. And we had several people sign up for the daily Ozarks at Large KUAF email uh, Saturday at the Fayetteville Farmer's Market. Thanks to everyone who came by our table and spent time with us. And thanks to everybody who came by uh, the Carver Center for Public Radio Saturday afternoon and uh, as part of the Pride weekend in downtown Fayetteville. Several of you stopped by and shared stories and thoughts in our listening lab. Stay tuned. We've got more opportunities for you to come visit our listening lab, and we're taking our listening lab to you as well. We'll have more details in the coming weeks. This is KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. We are constantly reminded that these are not easy times. So many issues make trustworthy reporting on this public radio station, KUAF, absolutely essential. KUAF is a shared public resource, and we rely on support from listeners like you to help pay for it all. KUAF is built on shared values of journalistic independence, public service, local connections, and an expansive view of what's possible when we seek common ground. Join so many of your neighbors and go online now to support KUAF.com. Check out our new limited time thank you gifts and make that donation today. That's support KUAF.com and thank you. We are closing out our financial year at KUAF at the end of this month, so in just a few days. And that means we're also close to ending our call to raise $50,000 in this final month of the fiscal year as well. And we are close to making that goal, starting today with about $45,000 raised in June. This is part of our essential fundraising to make sure that all we bring you, the news from NPR, the discussions on Fresh Air, the podcasts we produce with a variety of voices, and the sounds and ideas of where you live right here on Ozarks at Large, making sure all of that stays here. KUAF is an independent, listener driven and listener-supported radio station. We stay independent and strong with your support. And you can financially support us right now at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. Jennifer Acuff is a researcher and scientist with the Arkansas Agricultural Experiment Station, the research arm of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Her research focuses on food safety in a variety of areas. Part of my job actually is responding to people who send emails to say, I have a question about this. I'm not sure if this is safe or, you know, I'm, I'm making this home canned good. Is it okay if I do it in this manner? And I actually can do the research a little bit faster to send the resource and save some people some time on that. But um, just feeling empowered to look for multiple sources, I think is very important. You can hear more in the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill, a research podcast from the University of Arkansas. You can listen at KUAF.com, at arkansasresearch.uark.edu, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Coming up on our show, a census of the state of black Northwest Arkansas. Results from this census will really give us data to tell the true story of black residents in Northwest Arkansas. We're hoping that the data will speak to the disparities that exist in those six categories that we're looking at. We learn more in about six minutes on today's Ozarks at Large. This is Ozarks at Large. Sales tax collections in the four largest cities in northwest Arkansas continue to grow. Talk business and politics reports the sales tax numbers in the June report for the four cities up more than 7.5% compared to the same month last year. Combined revenue in Bentonville, Fayetteville, Rogers, and Springdale from the April sales reported in June, more than $9.3 million. The state of Arkansas will receive $1 billion in federal funding to improve the state's high-speed Internet infrastructure. Arkansas' share is part of the roughly $42 billion national investment from the Biden administration's Internet for All initiative, part of the administration's Investing in America infrastructure agenda. Arkansas must submit a proposal on how to run a grant program to boost broadband Internet connectivity within 180 days of the end of the month. Funds can be used to deploy or upgrade broadband networks, as well as access, adoption, and equity-related issues. After thunderstorms struck in Arkansas Sunday, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders is declaring a state of emergency. The storm caused statewide power outages. For up to the next 30 days, line crews and commercial vehicles will be authorized to clean up and provide relief to citizens affected by the storms. Relevant government departments are also being asked to help out with the cleanup. Temperatures across the KUAF region tomorrow will be near or above 100 degrees with heat index readings reaching into the triple digits. Highs in the Fort Smith metro tomorrow could top out at 103 with a heat index around 111. Highs tomorrow in northwest Arkansas and northeastern Oklahoma will be from 99 to 102 degrees with adjacent heat index readings reaching 105. Two freshwater mussel species found in Arkansas rivers and streams are now being categorized as endangered by the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. The western fanshell is currently found in the lower Mississippi, St. Francis, Neosho, Vertigus, and upper White River basins in Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma, while the Washita fanshell currently occurs in the lower red Washita Basin in Arkansas. Under the Endangered Species Act, threatened species are likely to become in danger of extinction in the foreseeable future. The designation imposes no requirements on state or private actions where no federal funding permits or approvals are required. The University of Arkansas Fort Smith athletic teams will be playing in a different conference beginning in the 24-25 academic year. Yesterday, the Mid-America Intercollegiate Athletics Alliance announced UAFS will be joining the conference, leaving the Lone Star Conference. The shift means UAFS will be annually playing several schools closer to the Fort Smith campus, including Northeastern State in Tahlequah and Southern Missouri State in Joplin. And the Great Race is making a stop in Eureka Springs tomorrow. The event is a road rally for cars built before 1974. The race began in St. Augustine, Florida, and it will end in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The drivers are scheduled to arrive at the Best Western Inn in Eureka Springs just after noon tomorrow. That's after spending tonight in Russellville. Drivers and navigators will discuss their cars, some as old as 100 years, with visitors. The free event lasts tomorrow until about 3.20. Sheena Mead was a single mom with four kids when she wrote an $87 check that bounced. I got arrested. I went to jail that day in front of my children. After that, Sheena had trouble getting a degree, renting apartments. Now she's part of a movement to wipe her and 30 million other Americans' records clean. Audacious solutions. That's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. The TED Radio Hour, Sunday afternoon, beginning at 1 on 91.3 KUAF. The Northwest Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Council is launching an effort to catalog and amplify 
the voices of the black community in the region. The council's State of Black NWA census seeks information from African-American residents of Washington and Benton counties through the census that can be found at nwamlk.org. Chris Seawood, the treasurer of the council, says the decision to create the census is rooted in another report that was previously issued by Engage NWA. Which is a part of the Northwest Arkansas Council. They uh, um, release a report. I'm not sure if it's annual or not, but I believe it was in 2021 um, that they released their um, diversity and inclusion report. Last week, Chris Seawood and Lindsay Leverett Higgins, the president of the Northwest Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Council, came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk about the state of black NWA census. Chris says that initial report from Engage NWA was a great place to set the census into motion. Which was a pretty thorough report that uh, talked about um, the state of inclusivity, et cetera, in Northwest Arkansas area. Um, And we just happened to notice the um, population for the African-American community. There was a rather negligible uh, percentage level of growth for the African-American community. Um, But there also just wasn't an apparent, and it probably just wasn't the reason for their report, um, the deep dive or micro level um, reporting for the African-American community. So we just started kind of brainstorming and wondered what it would look like if we extrapolated out of their report and did that deeper dive look uh, into the state of black Northwest Arkansas, and particularly with all the rapid growth that's happening in Northwest Arkansas, um, um, just really what and how our community is doing um, in relation to other populations um, relative to the growth uh, that is happening in the area. We saw in that report that our story was just not really being told. And so we are using this as an opportunity to really tell the narrative, um, to create that narrative and to tell the story, if you will, of black residents in Northwest Mm -hmm. Arkansas. We want to have an opportunity to do the deeper dive, like Chris said, to understand what the data tells us and then to be able to leverage that data so that we can have some very critical, much-needed, and strategic conversations Mm -hmm. with stakeholders here in Northwest Arkansas to help leverage their sphere of influence to make some much-needed change as it relates to meeting unmet needs and to recruitment and retention for blacks in Northwest Arkansas. Mm -hmm. What sort of questions are included in the census that will help give that picture? So we took the census is really based from a categorical perspective. Um, So what we're looking at is from a really a six category perspective, five of which are what we would call um, five categorical levels that African-Americans really nationally and even geographically have always suffered um, from uh, um, systemically disenfranchisement. And that ranges from economics to housing, to education, to health care. We also included an additional category, which is culture, um, because what we also want to make sure that we hear from our community, um, their thoughts on cultural amenities, the need or the lack thereof, um, placemaking, what are their thoughts on what it really would take um, to make Northwest Arkansas a place where they want to really put roots down. So all of the questions um, within the census are designed within those categorical ranges, um, and we're trying to address um those specific areas um, with the questions that are asked. What do you hope you can pull from this and and, and put together and, and, and show? I know you said that easier to show unmet needs and things like that. What do you hope the picture can give you? We're hoping that the results from this census will really give us data to tell the true story 
of black residents in Northwest Arkansas. We're hoping that the data will speak to the disparities that exist in those six categories that we're looking at and that it will give us an opportunity to have those critical conversations with stakeholders so that we can ensure that we're bringing the right individuals to the table to ensure that those needs are met so that we can do a better job collectively of bringing black individuals to Northwest Arkansas and not just bringing them here, but ensuring that when they're here that they have a sense of belonging, that this feels like a place that's home for them and that they want to be retained and to put down roots and remain in Northwest Arkansas. They want to live here. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's easier to have these critical conversations with stakeholders and influential people when you have some of the data. Yeah. Yes. As opposed to saying, I know this, but you want me to show. Yeah, and and fortunately or unfortunately, that is kind of part and parcel of the Northwest Arkansas ecosystem. Um, we tend to be data heavy um, here in the region, so we understood that um, and let the and we're going to let the data speak for itself, as yes. Lindsay just said. Um, we feel and we believe that there are clearly disparities. Um, within those six categories of the census, um, we believe that will um, that narrative will shape itself. But also, it probably will show there are a lot of good things that are happening for our community as well. And we're going to let that narrative speak as well. Um, but we want to let the data um, create a narrative that the stakeholders can grab hold of. Um, but not only that, that they can come to the table and see, hey, the Northwest Arkansas African-American community has been here, number one, historically, um, and is going to be here. Um, and again, that percentage level of increase uh, over the next 20 years is worth taking a look at and making investment in um, to ensure that our community um, is in a position to thrive along with every other community in Northwest Arkansas, but um, also is in a position to grow beyond the projected um, level of percentage growth um, that was uh, found out in the uh, Engage NWA report um, and the African-American community. I think, as we've always seen, um, is worth the investment. Um, the dollars are always worth the investment. You're always going to get a ROI or return on your investment in investing in, in our community. In the autumn, when the survey, the census is done, will you be willing to come back and talk about what you found out? Absolutely. Yeah. We would love to. <laughs> we would definitely love to, to come back. We're I'm looking forward to the data collection. We're looking forward to... Um, understanding what the data says and being able to have a fantastic report out that we can share with you and that we can share more broadly with the community. So mm -hmm. we would absolutely would love to come back. Yeah, absolutely. This data will help, obviously, if, if you're you know talking stakeholders, you think CEOs or people who hire or people who are on city councils or, or make mm -hmm. those sorts of decisions. But won't it help people like me who just live here? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, and that's the purpose. It is to g give everyone in our community insight um, that has a vested interest in inclusion, um, equity, and diversity in the Northwest Arkansas region. Um, if you have a vested interest in seeing our community thrive um, and grow, I think you should take a vested interest in the census, spreading the word, um, but also seeing what the data says um, and help spreading the word on that, um, but also helping members alongside you, um, i.e. African-American friends, um, loved ones, um, be able to be in the best position to thrive alongside yourself as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I came to Fayetteville in 1981 as a freshman in college. Mm -hmm. and. I had a black friend who, I mean, in 19, Fayetteville, 1981, right? 36,000 oh. people. Yeah. Bentonville <laughs> was like 8,000. Yeah, Rogers, yeah. 10. So <laughs> really small. And he told me, you know, he couldn't find a place to get his hair cut. Mm -hmm. There was just not much at all in 1981. I don't know how different 1981 and 2023 are, but those are still some of the same challenges. 
it's it's gotten better, I would say. Um, but I would also say that there's still obviously a wealth of opportunities. Do we have black barbers, black hairdressers, and the likes? Yes. Um, but the opportunities um, for more and more of entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, um, run the gamut, um, uh, access to capital for those entrepreneurs, um, is there, um, still disparities in healthcare, et cetera, just the lack of access for African Americans to the healthcare system, I would imagine is something that we're going to see disparities for. There are not still that many African-American doctors in Northwest Arkansas. I have the luxury of having one as a PCP. Um, and I'll be honest, he gets to the point where he can't take any more patients um, um, because he is a limited resource. Um, uh, and there are only a handful of them in the area. And most of them are in the same predicament. Um, I'm not sure Lindsay, as, as, as a black female, and her healthcare needs are sorely different from mine. Um, I can't even imagine what it's like for her, my wife, um, but just those right. heartfelt needs. Um. And I think the, I came here in 2004, fresh from college as an a undergraduate student. And I think that the needs definitely that existed then that I had some of them are still a concern, you know, today in 2023. Um, the community has definitely grown. Northwest Arkansas has definitely mm -hmm. grown. But I think that we still have a ways to go. When you think about having um, <clears throat> major retailers like Walmart or major food producers like Tyson or major um, transportation um, carriers like J.B. Hunt, we struggle with ensuring that when we're bringing in top-tier black talent from major cities like a Houston, a Dallas, an Atlanta, a Chicago, mm -hmm. we don't have the resources and the needs that black residents are accustomed to coming out of those major cities. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it very difficult for us to retain them. Mm -hmm. While aesthetically, Northwest Arkansas is beautiful. Mm -hmm. If you are into bike trails, mm -hmm. we have some absolutely amazing <laughs> right. bike trails. Beautiful, yeah. If art is your thing, Crystal Bridges, hands down, yeah. you know, can't yeah. be beat. But if I'm looking for a great... R&B, hip-hop concert, and just not sporadically. Yeah, when, like a club that you can right, count on. Yeah, yeah, or a yeah. good consistent that is a long-standing soul food restaurant or a jazz restaurant or a place that has live music mm -hmm. every weekend that meets my needs. I have to go to... Tulsa or to Dallas mm -hmm. or to Kansas City to check those cultural competencies. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how great would it be if we were able to use our sphere of influence to bring those things to Northwest Arkansas so that we had a better opportunity to retain that top tier talent that's coming here. Yeah. And we all benefit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's and that's what I meant earlier by saying, you know, the investment in our community, um, there is a return on that investment because it's not as if we're going to be the sole benefactors of that. I mean, I think it's obvious that if you look throughout history, the entire country has always been the benefactors of the of African American culture, whether that be from cuisine to music to fashion. Uh, and I think depositing though that rich tapestry in northwest arkansas more deliberately um our community again and just becomes that much more richer um, um demographically culturally and yes financially chris seawood is the treasurer of the northwest arkansas martin luther king jr council and lindsey leverett higgins is the president of the council they were at the carver center for public radio last week to discuss the state of black NWA census. That census can be found at nwamlk.org. It can be taken anonymously, but you can also leave a name to be eligible for a drawing. Lindsay Leverett Higgins says the census can be taken through early fall, so students at the University of Arkansas will be able to participate as well. This is Ozarks at Large. <laughs> 
Summer is here, and that means more sunlight to spend more time outside. Just remember the sunscreen. And know that our temperatures will be right below or right above 100 degrees later this week, so be careful with the heat and humidity. That said, there are several ways to spend time outdoors over the next few weeks. Here are just a few. The Rogers Rotary Club asks, why sleep in on Independence Day? They're hosting the second annual Run the Rail Yard 5K Walk Run, kicking off at 7.30 a.m. Tuesday, July 4th, from Rail Yard Bike Park. The course includes time on the paved trails around Lake Atalanta. It's child and dog friendly. There are medals for the first 100 finishers, trophies for the fastest man and the fastest woman, and also a trophy for, and I quote, fastest person up the hill. Knock yourself out. More information about the July 4th run available at RogersLowell.com. The Botanical Garden of the Ozarks will host two days of its summer daytime camp, Garden Magic, a single-day camp on July 6th and 7th from 8.30 in the morning to 3.30 in the afternoon. This is for children ages 5 to 8. It does sound fun. Campers will be encouraged and challenged to create using only natural materials, from experimenting in the outdoor mud kitchen to building a take-home fairy house or gnome home to creating imaginative costumes in preparation for the upcoming Firefly Fling Festival that takes place July 15th. Cost of the single-day camp, $80, with a $15 discount for garden members. Wilson Park Pool in Fayetteville hosts a dive-in movie screening of Aladdin on July 21st. Tickets, $1 in advance, $2 walk-up. Lake Dardanelle State Park will host its Arkansas River Cleanup on July 22nd. The cleanup, held in conjunction with the National River Cleanup, also part of the Centennial Days of Service Series, where you can earn prizes for volunteering in Arkansas State Parks. Registration begins at 8.30 that morning, the 22nd, at the Lake Dardanelle State Park Visitor Center. Kayaks launch at 9. Lake Dardanelle State Park will have their fleet of kayaks free of charge available for volunteers you can paddle along the shorelines to remove trash from areas that are otherwise difficult to reach. And if you can't get outside right now, here's the next best thing. A few moments from the ramble along the Razorback Greenway as the sun came up Sunday morning. Just a moment along the lower ramble on the Razorback Greenway in Fayetteville. By the way, Friday at 5 p.m., the Jake Herzog Trio will play at the lower ramble. It's part of the Weekend Starts series. It's June, and that means summer is finally here. Time to kick your feet up, grab some ice cream, go to the pool, Take to the friendly skies. And while you take that summer break, we at KUAF know you still want to stay caught up with everything going on in the world. But here's the thing, we can't do that without your support. As our financial year comes to a close on June 30th, we're asking for your contribution to keep the news, music, and entertainment you rely on on the air. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is your public... So while you're hanging up that out-of-office sign, you can rest assured that KUAF will always be on. Make your donation at supportkuaf.com. And thanks. And thanks to everybody who has contributed during this month of June to your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. When business got started this morning, June fundraising total was at $45,423. So fewer than $5,000 needed to hit that goal of $50,000 to end our fiscal year. When we do that, we know we're on track to continue to bring you all the great programs and services that you appreciate about KUAF. You can become a contributing member, renew your membership, give a gift membership, or become a sustaining member, all of that, any of that, at supportkuaf.com. Sustaining members uh, we gain every year. That's somebody like my wife and I who give a little bit every month, and by the end of the year or the end of the fiscal year, you can look back 
and you see that you've made a sizable contribution. Every contribution matters. We're working together. Thousands of people are the lifeblood of 91.3 KUAF. Again, thanks to everyone who's given. If you haven't yet, you can do so right now at supportkuaf.com, and thank you. This is Ozarks at Large. Pink House Alchemy is a Fayetteville-based creator of syrups, bitters, shrubs, garnish, and kits. Founded in a pink house, the creators at Pink House use as many local ingredients as they can access and continue to expand their repertoire of recipes and suggestions. Emily Lawson, the founder and owner of Pink House Alchemy, recently talked with Randy Wilburn, the host and producer of the podcast, I Am Northwest Arkansas. Their entire conversation can be found at IamNorthwestArkansas.com or by downloading the podcast through any major podcast distributor. We're sharing a bit of their visit, one that took place at Pink House Alchemy. Emily told Randy that part of her inspiration for creating Pink House came from working with another very familiar Fayetteville brand name. When I was in college, I was working at the Fayetteville Farmer's Market for the Arcegas. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, we're selling this and serving this beautiful coffee. They were direct to farm. And this was back in 2006 or seven. Okay. Is that right? No, it was 2009 or 10. And that was still new. The third wave coffee movement was just very, very new. But the Arcegas had been doing it for a long time, you know, coaxing flavors out of light roasting beans, not overly extracting things, just a different way of you know, not the antithesis of Starbucks in a lot of ways. And I was learning from them. Yeah. And it was reminiscent of all my wine, you know, knowledge I had gained when I was in the service industry in Telluride. And I saw a bridge between what they were doing, you know, being direct to source. And, you know, people were like hiding, like, you know, Tarani simple syrup bottles under the table, not wanting to show (laughs) up. And I just could see it very plainly. So we were working at a farmer's market and um, we bought a bundle of lavender from Ugly Bunny Farms and made a lavender simple syrup that following week and brought it back to the farmer's market to sell in lavender and lemonades and coffees. And it was just kind of an instant, you know, it was an instant attachment. People could, they really loved being able to look at the farm and drink their drink and be like, oh my God, you know, I know them and <laughs> I can taste that. And then, you know, trying to, to do that every week in a week over week and getting those, the engagement from the community was outrageous. Yeah. And it was very clear at that time that it could be something big. And I think my attitude and all those tools that I had been amassing on my travels and then now, you know, all the way through college, I, you know, business was where I was headed. So the entrepreneurial spirit evolves. I don't want to be a serial entrepreneur. You know, I'm hopeful to be a business person that can maybe have a little bit more structure and so Pink House was born in that way. What year was that? That was 2012. Okay. 2012, yeah. it was born. Yeah. Two years before I moved here. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, I love that story because now, well, before I ask this question, the farm that you grew up on, was that here in Arkansas? It was in Missouri. Okay. <clears throat> and I did not grow up on a farm, to be clear. I, okay. have, I do have a really funny story that was told about me from an, an interview. There, one of the quotes was Emily Lawson when she was living on a farm milking cows tippy toe on a pickle bucket, which you would have to be about three inches tall to do that. First of all, right? I've never, so for the record, I have never milked cows ever. (laughs) I did not live on a farm, but I had an you know endless access to my great grandparents' farm, and that was in Missouri, okay, eastern Missouri, so southwest, you know, Arkansas, northwest Missouri. We're just touching each other in reverse. So yeah, outside of Springfield. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. So, well, you got it honestly though, right? Cause you were around that. Absolutely. And yes. I, I got to say, I've, I've had some, we've had some farmers on the podcast and there is, is a whole different, I mean, I guess I'm a city boy, I guess, uh, you know, born outside. I mean, I grew up born in Richmond, Virginia, but I grew up outside of New York city. So that's what I knew. And then I went to Washington DC for college. And so I've always been in the city, but I had an appreciation for just being out in, you know, in the community and, and especially in a more agricultural setting. And I had family, I have family that have huge amounts of land in Southern Virginia, but 
So I can appreciate it, but I couldn't appreciate it until I moved here to Arkansas. And I think when I, I had one of the heads of the agriculture program at the U of A talk about how important the agricultural economy is to Arkansas. Like when you understand like the amount of soybeans that come here from, of course, we know about the rice, catfish. I mean, there's just a number of different things that we we grow and produce right here in Arkansas that goes all over the world. And you don't really think about it. And Arkansas is not a huge state. I mean, there's like three point something million people. So, but there's so much that comes out of here. And I think there's something to be said for what we're able to take with the sweat of our brow right in the dirt that's in front of us, right? And actually create it. And so, and I've had last couple of years, I've been on the board of the co-op Ozark Natural Foods, and I have totally seen, you know, what it means to be a local farmer here. And my level of appreciation is off the charts as far as what farmers do to bring their produce and everything else to the local communities that they serve. Yes, that's it, that really strikes a nerve with me or has from the you know beginning of Pink House. That was what drove me to continue to grow the company was it seemed simple um, in simple terms for me. It was that's grown here. I have the fortitude to figure out how to make these processes easier for everyone why aren't we all doing this? Yeah. You know, it was, there was just a real sense of like, oh no, 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 no. There's no gateway to entry. Let's just do all of this. Let me contact every farmer I know. And, oh, you didn't grow enough this year. I'll buy it ahead of time. You know, just trying to disrupt a little bit because there is a gateway for a lot of, or a block to entry for farmers to sell through to stores and manufacturers. And that's a big, you know, something that I have been working on since the beginning of Pink House. We currently buy as much as we possibly can from the state of Arkansas. Okay. We buy all of our berries from the Megara farms and peripheral berry farms that can support us and sustain us. We pay fair rates for berries. We're not going and asking for a deal. You know, we're just working directly with the farmers of what's sustainable and what to expect for a season. We work with farms all over the world in the same respect. You know, it doesn't have to be local. Arkansas is changing what we can grow. When I first started this company, I was like, I'm getting into brandy. I'm going to make apple brandy just like they used to do. <laughs> Bentonville was like a home of a really delicious brandy for many, many years, a sure. major exporter of it. And one of my friends and trusted colleagues told me, you know, that's not sustainable. You know, apples can't grow here like they used to. Right. It's kind of crushing. You know, I was like Arkansas black apples was going to be a huge anchor of what I love. And I had to change. I had to think about what else, what can we produce here? What would be, you know, what's going to be regenerative? What's going to help, you know, the grounds that it's growing on? And we're continuing to have those conversations. We're learning all the time and building new relationships that, you know, help to fortify the food system in Arkansas, which is not the best system. I mean, no. we have a really hard time feeding the people in our state. So Pink House, it, the more food you can pack into an area, no matter how it gets here, is going to eliminate some of that food desert issue that we have. So oh my pink gosh. Is, you, we aggregate. We're trying to do that. You preacher know. choir. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this, I, mean you, I get <laughs> yeah, that. And, yeah, and, yeah. and it, it is a real, and you think about it and you're like, man, it's like, why is that such a struggle for us when we produce so much? I think a lot of it, you know, I'm always amazed at when I go to places and I see how much waste takes place when it comes to food. And, and it's just, it's insane. It's like, We've got to figure out better ways to create laws around certain things that, you know, allow restaurants to give away whatever they have left. Because, of course, everybody's worried about being sued. Right. And so it's like, I can't give this away. Yeah, I've got a big almost a half ten of chili, but I can't give it away. I got to throw it out. And that's I mean, it's it's almost sinful when you think of it, because yeah. it's like we could be doing so much more. I know. With what we have, especially figuring out ways to leverage the the leftovers and the things that people could we could be giving to a lot of people that are going hungry. And I see it more so now than when I first moved here. You know, I, I ride the trail, so I see some of the tenements. I see some mm -hmm. of the places where people are living out in the in the I mean, that's one of the advantages of being here in the Ozarks is that you have a lot of places that you can literally go and pitch a tent. Right. And you can be right on the outskirts of just everyday living. You know, I just wish we could come up with more solutions to meet those needs of the people that need it the most. Oh, yeah. I think it just starts people have a, a duty, you know, just as in human nature, I think we all should to think about what we're doing and how it affects other people. 
I know that that is a big dividing line for some people. <laughs> is it my duty to think about others or is it not? And I think that divides us politically yeah. sometimes. Yeah. But I, I think it's the truth, especially as a business owner, I would have a hard time doing business with other businesses that don't meet me there. Yeah. You know, if, if our conversation can't lead to, well, we did it this way this year, but then next year, what if we do it this way? What if we buy in this way? What if we work together to, you know, cut this in half so that it works for them? If we can't have those conversations, then I'm not really interested in doing business with that person. Yeah, you, yeah. and you said it. And there's also a good book that really speaks volumes about being your brother's keeper, so or sister's yeah. keeper for that matter. Right. So you know, yeah. however you want to look at that, it's an easy argument to make. It's just whether we choose to make that argument or not. That's right. Yeah. And it comes down to dollars. Is the money speaks volumes, <laughs> and we are we think about that a lot in Pink House. We want to be disruptive and competitive and make money and grow in that way and use and spend our dollars the way that we think are effective and can be helpful for the community and helpful for, and not to feel ashamed for that either. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely. like, go get it, go get it. We need more people that, you know, want to build in that way. Emily Lawson is the founder and owner of Fayetteville-based Pink House Alchemy. The entire conversation with Randy Wilburn can be heard right now. As part of the latest episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast or by going to IamNorthwestArkansas.com. And we share excerpts from the podcast almost every Tuesday on Ozarks at Large. And you can find other podcasts produced in association with KUAF like Undisciplined, Resilient Black Women, and Points of Departure at KUAF.com. Just hit the Listen tab on our homepage and scroll down to Local Podcasts. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. Brinkley native Louis Jordan had a profound effect on the pioneers of rhythm and blues, rock and roll, and post-World War blues. Jordan was born on July 8, 1908, and as a child performed with his father's Brinkley Brass Band, touring in Arkansas, Tennessee, and Missouri. Jordan played with a variety of bands in the 1920s and 30s, but hit the big time in the 40s with his band, which regardless of how many instruments were in it, was called the Timpanic Five. He was among the first musicians to combine horns with electric guitar and bass, and his frenetic stage shows were legendary. He had many number one songs, including Choo Choo Chaboogie and Ain't Nobody Here But Us Chickens, and was a favorite of World War II GIs. The star of several movies and prototype music videos, Jordan was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987, among other honors. He died in 1975, and a U.S. postage stamp featuring him debuted in 2008. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, Trevor New's composition, Cohere One, is included on the first ever album release from the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas. The music takes advantage of all kinds of elements and of performers from around the world. So I was, you know, in person in, uh, in Arkansas with, with Sona, and then our uh, remote or virtual, I like to say network participants, because we all have our own spaces, uh, were coming in from uh, well, New York City, and uh, Brooklyn, uh, London, two places in London, uh, Los Angeles, Berlin, Germany, Argentina, Buenos Aires, uh, Kolkata, India, uh, Uganda, uh, and Korea. Trevor New discusses his work included on Sona's album. That's on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and again at 7 p.m. And you can listen on your schedule when you download the absolutely free Ozarks at Large podcast. This is Ozarks at Large. Later this summer, the new album Black Legacy Project Volume 1 will be released by All Eyes Media. The album will include a dozen songs, some originals and some covers, recorded by musicians from different communities across the country. While the full album won't be available until August 18th, the first release landed last week, and it's one that's pretty special to us. It's one of three songs included on the album, recorded by an ensemble listed as Arkansas Ozark Session. 
an ensemble that includes Ozark musicians Jerron Marshall Isbell on vocals, Willie Rollerson on keys and vocals, Michael J. Fields on bass and keys, Anthony Ball on drums, Reggie James piano, and Jose Thomas guitar, covering the 1963 Jimmy Driftwood song, What is the Color of a Soul of a Man? can hear and watch the entire performance of What is the Color of the Soul of a Man, recorded by the Arkansas Ozark Session, right now on YouTube. It's the first song released from the upcoming album, Black Legacy Project Volume 1, that will be released August 18th. We'll be talking with people behind the project and some of the musicians later this summer on Ozarks. And the Ozarks taking center stage later this week on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. The Smithsonian Folklife Festival this summer carries the title, The Ozarks, Faces and Facets of a Region. And it will open Thursday and last through July 9th on the Mall, located between 12th and 14th Streets in D.C. The festival takes place in collaboration with Arkansas Tourism, the University of Arkansas Experience Fayetteville, the Committee of 100 for the Ozark Folk Center, the Wingate Foundation, Missouri State University, and the Missouri Division of Tourism. Daytime festival programs will feature musicians, dancers, chefs, artisans, storytellers, and others from 11 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. On select evenings, special concerts begin at 6. Admission to the festival free. It's open to the public. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and War Eagle. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors to today's show included Anna Pope and Randy Wilburn. We also had contributions from the news staff at KUAR in Little Rock. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Our membership director at KUAF is Brett Ratliff. He's informed us that we are approaching $46,000 at least raised during this last month of our fiscal year at KUAF. Our goal to, re to raise $50,000. Thanks to everyone who has contributed so far. If you haven't yet, you can do so at supportkuaf.com and thank you. We'll be back tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. with another brand-new edition of Ozarks at Large. You can always listen to us when you'd like by using the Ozarks at Large podcast. You can also ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large to hear the most recent edition of our show. I'm Kyle Kellums from the Carver Center for Public Radio. Thank you so much for letting us be part of your Tuesday. The Scott Family Amazium in Bentonville invites families to explore the newest exhibition, Building Buddies, where children are encouraged to construct, build, paint with light, and more, all in a multi-sensory environment full of STEAM learning activities intended to encourage social behaviors such as sharing, cooperating, taking turns, and teamwork. Now open at the Amazium and included with admission. For more information, amazium.org.